Happy last Sunday of 2018, everybody. Yes. For some people, it's like, it's here. It's over. We are done with it, right? We had a pretty horrible uh, hurricane season for some of us. We had a really just another election cycle. Man. Man. Not just in the United States, in different countries. There are different things that are happening. So for many of us, 2018 is just like, can we be done with this? The top 10 lists are all out. The countdown is coming, whether it's the orange drop at the Intercontinental or if it's the big uh, glass ball in New York City, we are all just kind of almost done with 2018, right? But before we kind of shake off 2018, let's actually realize that God did a lot in 2018. Let us never forget when we are gathered here together, yes, we might be in the midst of pain or struggle or hurt, but let us never forget that God is at work. God is working in your life, and maybe you're here tonight, and you're here just because it's the end of the year, and you're like, you know what? It's been a rough year, and I'm just going to give God a shot because there's no way that 2018 could get any worse. But if you're here tonight, and you have questions, you have doubts, if you have fears, if 2018 was not what it looked like you wanted it to be, it's okay because there's 2019. Not because 2019 is going to be any better. It's because of the principle that God is with you because he is the God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he has a plan for you. I just want to share kind of a couple of things for me because 2018, in comparison to 2017, was light years different. For me, 2017 was the culmination of three major elements of my life that essentially brought me to my knees. 2017, I stepped out in faith to start a new church. And some of you know, and some of you were a part of that journey. You actually were with us, with our core team. Some of us are, with our core team came together. We stepped out in faith to start a new church, and you welcomed us as we were praying through that season. But for those of you that have ever started something new, there is just this level of anxiety that you constantly carry with you. Because even though it's not about you, it's, you know, ultimately it's all about God. But if you truly care about something, you know there's like a little bit of, it, of you in it. So you're constantly carrying that anxiety. But not only that, when we started the journey of planting the church, I remember this distinct prayer that I prayed to God. I said, God, I know there's going to be adversity with the church plant, but could you please protect my family? Because I don't know if I can handle anything happening to my family. And a month after I prayed that prayer, my mother-in-law was stricken with two forms of cancer. And I just about lost it. And then on top of that, for those of you that have been a part of the Crossbridge family for a little while, we got to share with you some amazing news. But before we were able to get to that amazing news, we were going on three years of infertility. And 2017, for me, was hell. Because everything that was important to me felt like I could not find relief. And I say that not to bring it down. I say that to say you might be in 2018 where I was in 2017. In 2018, I get to celebrate that I'm a part of an amazing church family here at Crossbridge Brickle. I get to celebrate that my mother-in-law is cancer-free from both her endometrial and her pancreatic cancer. And I get to say, praise God, that my wife and I are having our first child. 
And I don't say that to say how awesome I am. I say that because that's how awesome God is. In the midst of the hours and the moments and the tears and the pain, I don't know where you're at right now, but I know God has a plan. And I don't say that tritely because that sometimes is like somebody coming up to you and saying, when one door closes, another door opens. I hate that crap. (laughs) But I'm serious. If you're here and you're in despair, I just want to tell you, we just sang about this living hope. And I pray for your living hope because that's what we look forward to in 2019. And so with that said, what I want to do is first give you a piece of free advice as we get ready for 2019. Apparently 2019, Pantone said that the color for 2019 is coral. So um, so here you go, fashionistas. Yes, all right, for those of you that are already wearing your coral, you're getting ready for next year. So here you go, free tip of advice. Um, so get your fashion accessories ready. So uh, with that said, as we get ready to look at 2019, we want to close out 2018 well. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your programs, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2 tonight. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can follow along on the program. You can follow along on the screen with the verses that will be on the screen. Or I would highly encourage you to do this, and we're actually going to do start more of this next year. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, I would encourage you to use the Bible app. It's a super easy way to have the Bible with you anywhere you go. You can use reading plans, and you can actually share reading plans with your friends so that you can involve community in your Bible study. So I think it's a great tool, and I think it's an awesome idea. We're going to be implementing more of that next year. But as we follow along in God's Word, let us look at a classic passage of Scripture that is in the book of Acts that is actually the foundation of the church And what God did in the beginning so that as we are in this day and age, let us never forget what the church started as, who we were supposed to be, so that we can be what we want to become. So with that said, let's take a moment, church, and let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts. Father God, we love you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for the beautiful privilege of being able to come together and close out 2018. Father, I know that we first need to recognize that we are here because we are able to freely worship and freely praise you in this place. God, there are places all over the world where gathering like this is a death sentence. So please, Father, let us never forget the simple privilege and freedom to gather here together tonight. Father, we come before you, and as we are coming to you, whether it's the highest of highs or the lowest of lows because of what 2018 has done to us, let us never forget that in your eyes, A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Time is irrelevant to you because your plan works perfectly according to your will. So I know there are people that are praying for job promotions. There are people here that are praying about potential job transitions, location transitions. I know there's so many things up in the air. But, Father, I just pray and ask that you give peace to your children. I pray and I ask that tonight as we look to your word and we focus on this idea of community, I pray that the community of brothers and sisters in Christ will love one another the way that you love us because the way that we love one another is a way to show the city that we love you. And so with that said, Father, we come before you and we praise you and ask that everything that we do honors you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so to begin tonight, what I want to do is I kind of want to use an analogy to help us get into the framework of this idea that we're going to dissect together. So I just gave you that little coral tip from Pantone. 
Pantone, for some of you that are in the digital art field, you know how it's important to be on top of the highest trends so that as you're communicating messages, you're staying relevant and on the edge of how to communicate to people. And so what I want us to do is I would love for each one of you, if you have a smartphone, I want you to take it out, put it in your hand, and I want you to lift it up for a second. Okay. So if you have a smartphone, first I want all my iPhone people. Could you just give me a little quick wave? All right. Blessings be upon you, okay? <laughs> All of you with any other phone, Android, I will pray for your deliverance, okay? <laughs> yes, and now I've actually reinforced that you're going to stay with that product for the rest of your life because you're rebelling against status quo. I get it. So with all that said, that's a fun little way to just kind of point like an idea that we need to dissect a little bit. So all of us imagine several years ago the idea of having a smartphone was a new concept. The idea that you would have a phone that's more powerful than most computers in your pocket was a revolutionary idea. But now let's go a step further. Now that we have these smartphones that are in their 10th iterations, in their 20th iterations, every time that we need to know something, what is our default answer? What do we do when we need to learn something? What do we do? We pull out our phone and we do what? Siri, Google. Uh, Alexa. Yes. <laughs> Everything that we do, we ask some type of artificial intelligence to help us find the answer. What, I heard bacon? What did I hear? <laughs> I love bacon. Oh, okay. So, sorry. You know where my mind's always at, bacon. Um, so what I want to do is I want us to understand something a little bit deeper that most of us know, but let's understand the impact of how it works. So you know that we live in a day and age of big data, that every time that you Google search, every time you're on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, every time you punch in characters and enter a search query, the analytics that happen in that app are actually becoming tailored to your preferences. For some of us, that's why we really hate social media right now, because it becomes algorithm-based versus timeline-based, right? Some of us have been crying for chronological to come back when it comes to Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, because we want to be in real time versus only listening to certain types of people. But what's happening with digital marketing is that in order for us as digital marketers, if you're in that field, you need to get your product to people. And the way to do that is to find out where your people are. And when you find those people is to continually curate content that is for that person. Have you ever noticed that when you Google search for something and then next thing you know you're on Facebook or another social media platform, those ads start popping up on that site? Yes, yes, exactly. What is happening in our world is revolutionary. When you ask for something here, it will show itself over here. That's what we are calling in this day and age modern personalization or another digital platform or another idea is content curation. The deeper problem with this is it is reinforcing isolation. When we put ourselves in these chambers of echoing or reinforcing our ideas, what we're doing is we're creating and reinforcing our self-righteousness. Let's just be real. When you want to know news, you go to your news source because the other sources are stupid. When you want your opinion validated, you go on Facebook and everybody that loves you lambasts you with praise. 
or if you go on Instagram or whatever. So what happens is that society is starting to move in the direction of curated isolation. So you and I need to recognize that as society is bringing this new tension into our world, we have to recognize a scriptural mandate that you and I have to live in. God did not design us for isolation. We have been designed biologically, anatomically for community. So it's not just something that we do because we're bored. It's something that we must do because that's who we are. God himself is a community. When we look at the scriptures, when we read in Genesis chapter 1, when God was creating the world, it says in his own words, let us make man in our own image. The idea that Elohim, the God essence, he is one essence, but he is personified through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we need to understand that God in his own essence is community. He values it because that's who he is. And so if we're going to continue to live our lives moving forward, we need to recognize that community is not an option. It's a necessity. And so when you live in your apartment or you live in your condo or you're at your cubicle or wherever job place you're at, it's not, oh my gosh, I hate people. I need to stay away from people. Actually, people are needing to be in your life just as much as you need to be in theirs. And I know some of you have self-confidence issues and the idea of putting yourself out there feels really weird, but it's not just you need people. It's actually people need you. We are designed for community. And to help us understand that, what I want us to do is if you have your notes with you, if you have your your Bibles with you, what I want us to do is to walk through this passage in Acts chapter 2 to understand the beginning and end of who we are, of how God designed us for community. So when we look at this idea, this community idea, the simplest way to do it is in the Greek. It's actually this word koinonia, which means intimate fellowship. But a simple way just to remember the word community is this idea of common unity. I've talked about this before. It's this idea that all of us come from different walks of life, different ages and stages. But the thing that unites all of us is this common unity that Jesus Christ saved us, redeemed us, and repurposed us for a mission. That's our common unity. That's our koinonia when we come together. But not only are we called to live in the koinonia, we're also called to demonstrate what koinonia looks like amongst ourselves for the betterment of our city. So in Acts chapter 2, this is the continuation of what happened from Jesus' earthly ministry. If you're new to church, if you haven't been to church in a while, the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. The Bible's broken up into two big sections. You got the old school and the new school. Within the new school, the New Testament is the new explanation of the continual promises of God. And so when God gave his word through the Israelites, he also gave them a promise that there would one day be a savior, a redeemer, a Messiah. And that Messiah would come through the lineage of David all the way through the people that we just talked about the last couple of weeks, Joseph and Mary. And so when Jesus was born, his earthly ministry was to demonstrate God as the invisible made visible, His death, burial, and resurrection paid for all sins for all time. And then at the very last moments of his earthly ministry, he empowered his disciples to become the apostles to share the good news of this transformational work. And as Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, 
Then we see this amazing story of the Holy Spirit falling upon the disciples, now apostles, so that the Spirit gave them the ability to speak every language that was gathered at a very significant time. And so just to help you understand the historical context of what's happening in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, this is the season in the book, what's known as the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks, if you're familiar with Jewish tradition, is actually a a festival that is practiced seven weeks after Passover. If you need to, to know a little bit more, the Festival of Weeks in its original Hebrew is the Festival of Shavuot. And Shavuot in Hebrew means week or seven. And so what would happen is this feast would happen seven weeks after Passover for two purposes. One, to remind the people of what God provided for them by God providing the Torah, the law, to Moses on Mount Sinai, but also for the purpose of their annual harvest season. So when the Israelites would gather their harvest, all of their grain and wheat, they would take this time during the festival of Shavuot and they would give their first fruits to the temple as a way to bless their community and care for the immediate nation of Israel. So this is that season. So nations upon people upon countries are converging in Jerusalem at the temple. So when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they were able to speak the languages of all different nations that had arrived. And it's so beautiful to see this because imagine, in this story, it actually says that these Galilean men, which essentially they were just calling these guys really stupid, these Galilean men, these unlearned people, were speaking all of the languages represented at that time because the Holy Spirit was doing a new work to create and establish the church. And so during that time, the languages were being spoken, and at the same time, Peter, one of the apostles, gave a declaration sermon. And he gave this sermon to explain that Yahweh, the people of Israel, the God of all Israel, promised a Messiah, a Mashiach. And that Mashiach came through the person of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Yeshua came, lived, died, was buried, and resurrected for the people of Israel. So Peter declares this to everyone at the temple and then from that, we move into this beautiful story of what happened from that declaration. So that's what we're walking into. Peter declaring to the people of Israel that Yahweh provided Yeshua as the Mashiach. And so now you and I need to understand why this is so powerful, because this is how it impacted the church. And so in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, the very first section, it says it like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The word fellowship there is the exact same word for community, koinonia. It's that idea of intimate fellowship. And the intimate fellowship they had was what Peter declared, that you and I were created in the image of Yahweh, God, and that Yahweh provided the Mashiach, Yeshua, Jesus, so that by his sacrifice, you and I are not just made in his image, we now have the ability to become children of God. And so that's what they did. They first devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But then it continues on in the next sec section. It says, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And so breaking of bread is essentially like a colloquialism. It really just means like grabbing a bite to eat kind of thing. But when you look at this phrase, it says, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is an indication that what they would do is when they would gather together, is they would have communion. They would take the Lord's Supper together. 
because they were instructed that whenever they gathered as believers, do this to remember, to participate in the grace that God has extended to them. And so I want to ask you this question. If, how many of you are already a part of a community group here? I know we have some people that are in community groups. Okay, this is not a shaming moment. I don't mean to shame any people. I'm just saying, in a community group, I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you participated in communion? I know that when we do it here, it's a beautiful congregational gathered church moment, which we need to do, but it's also something that we need to practice because it's not just something that we do corporately. It's something that we need to do in community. So they declared themselves and they followed the teachings of the apostles, but not only that, they broke bread and they also participated in the prayers, it says. So a little bit of a while ago, Carter prayed for us. A little bit of a while ago, I just prayed for us, and I did kind of a very just modern prayer. But not only that, but they would do modern prayers, but they would also do historic prayers. For some of us, the first type of prayer that we learned is this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done. And that's a prayer that was taught by Jesus to the disciples when the disciples asked them, how do we pray? We don't know how to do this. But not only that, we've prayed prayers here during our call to worship, during other times as special scriptural readings, because these are prayers that were prayed by the church through different generations. And so what was happening is that these new believers in Yeshua, followers of Yahweh, followers of God, continued to pray the old prayers, but they prayed them with a new mentality. It wasn't God would provide a suffering Savior that we read about in Isaiah. It's God did provide the suffering Savior from Isaiah. So we can use the old prayers that have happened in our church history, but we can use them, one, to connect with the ancient church, but two, to transform the way we view the present. So that was, that's what was going on. Not only that, they had the historic prayers, but this next beautiful phrase in verse 43, it says it like this. And awe came among every soul. This is where I've got to pay some penance for a second. I am like ridiculously liberal with the word awesome. Some of you in here are probably the same way, right? We just throw it around like it's a slice of pizza. Like it's just the same plain word we say all the time. Some of us, it's like totes chill. Like whatever we say, you know, right? Totes is so old school, right? Um, lit. Lit is so now in. Um, we use so many different phrases all the time that we actually become numb to what they truly mean. Like the word awesome. I use that word all the time. If you catch me belligerently using it, feel free to smack me across the head. But the word awesome in its sense, truest literary form, means full of wonder. And the word awe in this context actually means reverential fear. Not fear like Phobos, like I'm scared because something's going to happen to me. The Kind of the way that I can just really try to explain it is for those of you, like how many of you have a significant other like in the room? Okay. So if you have like a boyfriend, girlfriend or somebody or even a wife or a spouse, um, the way I try to describe it is like this. It's like when my wife does something that like, for example, if somebody like does something wrong to her and she stands up to herself and this like mama bear mentality in her comes out. First of all, it's terrifying to me. <laughs> but then second of all, it just makes me inside go, man, that's my girl. 
It's not the exact same thing. Let's not compare God to like that kind of feeling. But you know kind of where I'm getting at. When God does something that's so wonderful and awe-inspiring, if we focus only on the power of God and what he could do to us, yeah, that's fear. But we need to understand that God so loved us that yet while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. That's reverential fear. So these people had awe among every soul. And the beautiful part, for those of you that are like English lit professors and grammarians, this was what, this word was actually in the imperfect tense, which means that it wasn't just awe for reverential fear on one day. It was actually awe that kept happening. So it wasn't just, hey, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, everybody was like, oh, that's amazing. And then it was over. The awe kept happening. People were introduced to Yahweh. They learned about the true Mashiach, Yeshua. And then they were filled with awe. And they went home and they told their families about it. And then they became full of awe and believed in Jesus. And then they told their friends. And it kept going on and on and on. What if we remembered the awe that came into our lives when Jesus wrecked us with our sin, but graced us with his righteousness? If that awe was in our hearts, we would be so powerfully transformed to go and share it with not just our friends and our family, but with our city. And our city would be flipped upside down. That's what happened in Jerusalem. And so the awe kept happening But then we see, continuing in verse 43, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love this word signs because miracles are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I love the word signs because its original idea, especially in the book of John, is this idea that they were miracles with the explicit purpose of pointing people to Jesus. It's not just, oh, it's a miracle. I got to church on time. Oh, it's a miracle. I didn't get a ticket this week, right? No, it's a miracle is something that literally defies the laws of science. But a sign is something that defies the laws of science with the purpose of pointing somebody to Jesus. And so you and I need to recognize that if we are seeking miracles, that's great. But I think we should be seeking signs. Not God, could you put a sign in the sky for me so that I know exactly what to do with my life? If we are seeking signs for self-pleasure, that's self-righteousness. If we are seeking miracles and signs so that other people can know Jesus, that's holiness. So signs were happening among the early church because signs are miracles that point to Jesus. Signs are miracles that point to Jesus, and we should be eagerly desiring signs to be happening in our time because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Some of us maybe come from a conservative background, and and I don't want to get into that realm of theology too far, but what I need to make sure that we never forget is that there are literally nations and tribes of people that are being brought to Jesus by some very supernatural ways. And we have to be comfortable knowing that if it's truly of God and if it's a sign pointing people to Jesus, God may be at work in that place. There are stories of tribes in Africa. There are stories 
of men and women in different parts of India and in the Middle East. God is at work, but we are missing the signs. And as we continue on what was happening in the time of Jerusalem, continuing on in verse 44, it says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. In verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, now I'm going to kind of wade into some touchy waters for a second. Um, I don't want this to become political, so don't hear me. If you have, like, some, like, fear-based things of what I'm about to say, don't, don't project insecurities onto what I'm trying to say. Because when you see this passage, you're like, homeboy's trying to say that we should follow socialism. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you in here, have seen the detriment of government-based control. Doesn't matter if it's socialism, capitalism, communism. What I'm talking about is not government-mandated material sharing. What I'm trying to help us see happen in the scripture is gospel-based generosity. You and I were redeemed by the Father and Creator of heaven and earth. And because He redeemed us, everything that we have is from Him. So whatever He's given to us, we should remember that God has given us everything. Therefore, if we are going to live a hundred years, I think it's okay for you and I to see that our possessions are temporary stewardship that God gave to us that we can use to bless and care for other people. So with that mentality in mind, they were giving their possessions away and selling to the point that anyone who had a need. Crossridge Brickle, it should hurt us when somebody in our church is struggling financially. It shouldn't just be, oh, you know, they made some bad decisions. No. They're our brother and sister in Christ. We should figure out ways to help support those in need. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you were a part of this community and people went to, oh, well, you made some bad investments. Oh, well, you were poor in the way that you managed your money. If that's the way God treated us, you and I would never have a chance. So let us remember the generosity that God was to us and demonstrate that amongst the brothers and sisters of this community because of the richness of the righteousness of God. Therefore, let us love and serve one another with the possessions that are not actually our possessions. It's temporary stewardship. And so with generosity-based stewardship, that's what was happening in the original church. And so let us pray and seek of ways to do that. And I love that we are at a church that is ambitiously seeking ways to figure out within the next five years of how can we make our budget, not just some kind of budget that fulfills our needs, but a budget that actually is a 50-50 budget. And for those of you that are asking what the heck that means, that means that every dollar that comes in, we want 50 cents of it to go out and to bless people in the community. How radical of an idea is that? But in order for us to get there, we have to pray fervently, we have to plan strategically, and we have to be, be willing to be gospel-centered sacrificially. 
So pray for our church to be as generous as possible, not so that the name of Crossbridge can be famous, but so that the name of Jesus can be lifted up. And so as they were selling their possessions, continuing on in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together. A little just reminder of what was happening here. The temple at that time in Jerusalem was the educational, political, and spiritual center of the entire community. So when people were going to the temple to take care of their educational business, their political needs, all that kind of stuff, they were going with the purpose of how can I redeem this time to demonstrate the goodness of God? What if you and I had that same mentality with our jobs? You're not just going to fill a shift. You're not just going to punch in, punch out. You're not just going to meet quota. You're not just going so that you can cash out on a bonus. God has given you a job to be a blessing to other people. They were using their jobs to bless and love one another. And not only that, continuing in verse 46, and they were breaking bread in their homes. Earlier it said the breaking of bread. In this context, it's talking about just sharing a meal, grabbing a bite. And I want to ask you, when was the last time you invited somebody to come over and have a meal at your house? So we're like, oh yeah, I had my really good friend come over. No, 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 no. I'm talking about somebody that you really don't know. I'm talking about the neighbors in your condo. I get it. Miami's a super transit city. It's super hard to get to know your neighbors. I get it. But imagine instead of a fear-based mentality of, well, you know, I'm not really going to get to know them. They're not going to be here that long, so we're just going to keep our distance. What if we saw it as our city, as a gospel catalytic movement that when somebody comes to Brickell, even for six months, we are going to be loving and compassionate to them so that they are introduced to the gospel and hopefully that seed of the gospel will be planted so that we can be a part of sending them to their next mission moment. That is a catalytic movement when we redeem every moment that God gives to us. One of the best things I have heard in a long time was one of our deacons shared at one of our deacon meetings that when they came to Miami, they came strictly for a job. But now because of the love of this community, if they lost that job, they wouldn't relocate. They would stay because they love what God is doing here. And again, that's not because of how great we are. It's because of what God has done in us and how we want to love and serve and care for this city. And not only that, we want to make sure that we remind ourselves that sharing meals is not just with believers, it's also with strangers. I talked about that a few weeks ago with that whole Philadelphia and Philozenia idea. The love of brothers and sisters and the love of strangers. We need to practice that because hospitality is the antidote to isolation. When we love and serve one another, we are making gospel entryways. And I really want to make this as simple and as almost tangible as possible. With this idea of digital marketing and content curation, I want us to understand it like this. The more we lean into our preferences, our preferences are going to become more radicalized. Imagine your political system, your belief system, your fashion, or whatever you think is the truth. If you continue to fall into this idea that your ideas alone are the best, what's going to happen is that you and I are going to fall into the trap of listening to echo chambers that reinforce our self-righteousness. 
Community is a safeguard against self-righteousness. So you and I, when we look at the word of God and when we look at people here on our gatherings, it's not just people that are on the opposite side of the room. Those are my brothers and sisters that are going to help me to follow Jesus Christ. Because the more we come, become personalized, the more our preferences are going to become radicalized. Your preferences will become your religion if you don't keep them in check in community. Do not put the yoke of your personal convictions on someone else when they're actually just your preferences. Community will prevent you from falling into that trap. In verse 46, it continues, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. And I want to say it like this. Generosity begins with first fruits, not leftovers. How many of you have ever reached into your pocket and given somebody just kind of the leftover change? I've done that. But let's remember what was happening here in this narrative. The Feast of Shavat was a feast of first fruits because the idea is that God has given us not just some of what we have, God has given us everything of what we have. So the tithe was a reminder that we're not just going to give 10% of some of our finances. We're going to tithe because it is the first fruits of our finances. And some of you are thinking, oh, great, he's going into a guilt trip about giving. No, 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 no. It's a posture of the heart. There are so many old school, like 50s and 60s songs that talk about getting your paycheck and bringing it home to your love, right? Right? Because that was the era. It was, I'm going to bring home the bacon so I can care for my husband or my wife. But this principle is you and I, 100% of what we have is a provision from God. Therefore, to prevent ourselves from falling into the trap of greed, let us practice generosity with our first fruits, not our leftovers. That's what was happening with the church. They were selling their possessions and they were praising God Continuing in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then lastly, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because let me be very clear. If this church grows, it's not because of how awesome Crossbridge is. I pray that all the churches in the greater downtown area will grow that have a declaration that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. If we all grow, God gets the glory. So our job is to be faithful with what God has given to us and pray for the betterment of our city by praying for more churches and for more people to come to know Jesus. In the next couple of years, there are some opportunities for us to lovingly serve and bless our city because of the spiritual climate and the development climate that's happening in our city. But let us never forget and I want you to understand, if you walk away with nothing from tonight, hear this. It begins and it ends with Jesus. The church began with Jesus, and if the church grows, it's because of Jesus. And the church will end one day in the culmination because of Jesus. Let me just keep it very blunt with us. 99.9% .9 of churches die. Think about this. When we look at the book of Revelation and we look at all the different churches, the seven churches in that story, how many of them are still around? For those of you that don't know the history of Crossbridge Church, Crossbridge Church was actually birthed out of a church that died. 
I was a part of another church that was actually a birthing of another dead church. Most churches don't survive more than 100 years. So let us never become arrogant, Crossbridge Church, that we think we're the answer to Miami. We are a part of the answer because we have the answer, Jesus. And with that said, that is what we're supposed to do in 2019. We've shared through our Making a House a Home initiative that we've got some pretty big ideas. Some would say they're crazy ideas. No, 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 no. We have some God ideas that the only way they can happen is but God. And we pray that for you. Whatever God's doing in your life right now, maybe it's a financial decision, maybe it's a job decision, a location decision, whatever it is. 2019, 2019, let it be the year that begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus. No matter if it's high or low. For me, if it's a 2017 or a 2018, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he works all things together for good. So if you're here tonight and you need hope, let us not just sing about it. I hope that you learn about it and you leave with it tonight, the hope of Jesus Christ. With that said, church, let us pray. Father God, we love you. We come before you and we ask that everything that we do tonight and as we continue to praise you is an opportunity to be able to declare how good you are. Father God, the work of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church, the foundation of the church. The church began with Jesus, and it will end with Jesus, from the cornerstone to the capstone. Father God, as we end 2018, I pray that tonight is an opportunity for those that are here that need help, need encouragement, that maybe tonight was that encouragement they needed to end the year well. Not because of how good the message was, not because of how good our coffee was, but Father, because of how good you are. Father, thank you for this amazing group of men and women that constantly lead us week in and week out with opportunities to sing your praises. As we end this moment of our gathering tonight by singing and declaring to you, I want to ask that you guide us and direct us. And as we get ready to come to your table, I ask that you guide us and direct us in the name of Jesus. Amen.